0: Hello, please be seated. Frederick Langford Sharp et al. of the, the Autorité des marchés financiers. Sharp, Mr.
1: Sean Griffin, and Daniel Bon. For the appellants, Sean Van Dam et al. M. Patrick and M. Sébastien Cécaron. For the intimés, Autorité des marchés financiers.
0: For the respondents, Autorité des marchés financiers. Stéphanie Jolin, Jean-Nicolas Boutin-Wilkins, for the Intervenor Attorney General of Quebec, stephanie kirion cantin Stéphane Rochette,
1: Biosecurities Securities Commission, Katrina Gustafsson, and Alexandra Matushenko. Met. Mr. Griffin. C'est M. Ferlin qui, qui débutera.
0: in fact it's Mr. Ferland who will be beginning. May it please the court. The question facing the court in this appeal is to determine which rules apply in determining the international jurisdiction of an administrative tribunal. We will attempt to show that the Court of Appeal of Quebec erred in two ways. First of all, it uh, rejected the application of the Civil Code of Quebec. In doing so, it set aside a set of rules that the legislator intended uh, to apply to the administrative tribunals. It then erred in setting aside the teachings of this court over several decades and forgetting the importance of having predictable solutions when it comes to applying jurisdiction in international courts. Since Morgard in 1990, at least, the court has emphasized how important it is for Canadian court decisions to respect predictability. In fact, predictability is absolutely essential and is the foundation of international law, including the step where you establish the jurisdiction of courts. This has come back time and time again. It was stated in morgard in 1990, Van Breda in 2012, in Godard in 2018. It is uh, a recurring theme, and it's so important that in 2012, the court reminded us very clearly, that the constitutional notion of real and substantial link, which is the minimum requirement for a province uh, to to hear a case, Van Breda taught us that that link is not specific enough. There needs to be more predictability and court jurisdiction must be founded on objective elements, predetermined elements that will stay constant no matter what the case is. So this, these are the teachings that the Court of Appeal what? set aside. The Supreme Court also reminded us that within Quebec law, the Quebec legislator set out a complete and global code and therefore it's important to interpret the rules of international law according to the wishes of the legislator. And the first step, of course, is looking at the specific wording of the provisions. Yes, question? I hope you don't draw any conclusions from my question because this is a really interesting uh, case. I understand your position, I've read your factum, and it's clear that if the civil code provisions apply here, then you come to a different result when it comes to uh, the application of the rules compared to the appellate court decision. But here we're talking about securities. We've uh, rendered several decisions, but it's clear that in today's world, we're dealing with a transnational context. And so here we have Quebec legislation Your clients are not Quebec residents, so does that mean that if someone comes from a different province or another country, and I'm not saying that they have broken the law, but we have to uh, take the facts uh, uh, as they've been presented. Does that mean that the Quebec legislator would have absolutely no power to have the law to enforce the law just because the person doesn't reside in Quebec? Answer: Absolutely not. There's no doubt that the law applies to international transactions and to transactions that occur outside the province. But just because we're dealing with securities doesn't mean that you have to set aside the civil code. In fact the AMF has reminded us time and time again that securities fall under provincial jurisdiction. Why? Because this has to do with contractual relationships between uh, individuals or moral persons, corporations and the market. The legislator provided several uh, ways for the AMF or for individuals who are victims of, men of transactions that they uh, decide are, that they feel are illegal to act. In terms of civil sanctions, when an individual claims that they suffered an injury, they can, they have recourse before the courts, the tribunals in their province of residence. The legislator also provides for uh, criminal sanctions that fall under the Code de Procedure Pénale. those violations can occur outside of the borders of the province and the legislator recognizes two grounds of uh, jurisdiction, either the residency of the uh, defendant or the location where the violation took place. Now, the legislator was certainly aware that international issues could occur So when it comes to administrative sanctions, the legislator chose not to choose a a certain path. And that's why we have to rely on the civil code of Quebec, which is a complete code. What's very important to remember is that there's an agreement between all parties, I believe. And the entire appellate court, also agreed that 3134 to 3154, the provisions uh, in the civil code apply to all of the authorities, including administrative tribunals. So this is not something that was forgotten by the legislator. The legislator wished to regulate the jurisdiction of administrative tribunals. The legislator's objective is to regulate very thoroughly uh, the uh, this issue.
1: Question. Sigma.
0: So are you arguing that uniform must be uh, uh, changed, that the lessons there must be applied differently? Are you saying, uh, or are you saying that the civil code applies there. Are you saying that uniform applies as well? Answer. Yes, my uh, colleague, Mr. Griffin, will be dealing with uniform, but it's very important to be clear. Uniform does apply, but what does it say? It has to do with the scope of the legislative jurisdiction of provinces. In which cases can provincial legislation apply. In Washa'anu'at, this was confirmed by the court. It's important not to mix, to confuse uh, uh, two things. It's very important not to confuse the adjudicative jurisdiction and the court's jurisdiction. Question. The issue before us is a constitutional one. The constitutional applicability of the Securities Act. That question was already answered in Unifund. My reading of the third chapter of book 10 do not resolve issues around the legislative jurisdictional scope. And Justice Mayville also relied on this, saying, even if our tribunals are not, don't have jurisdiction to hear a, uh, a case, So, this is all based on Unifund, and I believe 3136 can apply, but does not apply in the case at BAR. I would like to know how you respond to that analysis question. First of all, what Unifund establishes very clearly is which, in which situations provinces can legislate when it comes to securities. There's no doubt that when you're within the scope defined by Unifund, provinces can have provisions that give their authorities jurisdiction to decide cases. The question is, did the Quebec legislator do so? Did the Quebec legislator adopt provisions that provide jurisdiction? Our position is that the Quebec legislator chose do so when it comes to civil sanctions, penal sanctions, and chose not to do so when it comes to administrative sanctions. When it comes to 3136, 3136 has always been viewed as providing a narrow opening to avoid denying justice in very exceptional situations. The case at Bar is far from that. Regulation when it comes to securities is broad. Provinces can legislate uh, on transactions that uh, occur outside their borders, and there's an entire regime in place for transnational cooperation, and that allows the AMF to investigate, to delegate powers, to receive delegations from other regulatory bodies, and that also allow the AMF to recognize very quickly decisions rendered elsewhere. And therefore, I don't see how one could argue that within the Canadian Federation, it's unreasonable to insist that people who committed alleged crimes be uh, come, uh, fall under the provincial legislation. It's very clear why the AMF did not ask other provinces to cooperate with them? Question. Because they didn't have to answer. Yes, you're absolutely right. The AMF does not have to ask uh, for that cooperation. But the AMF made a strategic decision to pursue the case here. However, the AMF can't create its own jurisdiction, it's up to the legislator to make those decisions. And so, question, Mr. Ferland, to come back to uh, the Chief Justice's question about Unifund and uh, the Quebec Civil Code, should I understand from what you're saying that we You're not asking us to change Unifund, but say it does not apply to the present case because we have to limit our analysis to 3136 to 3154? Answer. To answer your question, the court must say that Unifund continues to apply, but Unifund answers one question, which is the scope of the legislative jurisdiction. Unifund could also answer the question. The following question, does the legislator have the power to adopt legislation that would allow the AMF to do certain things where uh, the defendant is a foreigner? So that question, but that's not the issue at BAR today. We're not dealing with legislative uh, jurisdiction, but uh, adjudicative jurisdiction. Answer, a uh, question. There's a certain logic here. The AMF says we are starting with uh, tab six. And since you're presenting certain facts, we will take them uh, for true. And we'll verify whether they correspond to what we qualify as administrative uh, procedure which does not fall under international private law. In fact, it doesn't even fall under private law at all, if I understand correctly uh, the arguments. And then the AMF cites the civil code, the preliminary provision, and argues that this indicates that an administrative procedure such as uh, the one that we're discussing here before the FMAT does not fall under the civil code
1: parce qu'il faut passer par cette porte là absolument et pour répondre à votre question monsieur juge je pense qu'effectivement que c'est le c'est le nœud du c'est le du problème
2: to answer your question that is the crux of the issue amf's position i believe brings us back to a time much earlier, which reveals something about uh, Quebec law. A new civil code was adopted in 1994 and at that time the legislator was perfectly aware of the difficulties of the applicability of the code regarding legal persons in public law. and when we look at the act on regulation of the financial sector we see this clearly then the scope was broadened clearly to show that the earlier meaning of the provisional the provision was removed in favor of uh, the common law We see this, for example, in Prud'homme, and also in Doré. The current preliminary provision says that the Civil Code of Quebec, together with the Charter and General Principles of Law, people, relationships between people. And if we look at the Civil Code, from beginning to end, it deals with this. It deals with persons relationships between persons and property we see this in book 10 that it deals with these three items however in Donaldson at the Court of Appeal and even perhaps in Doré the judge was uh, cited in Donaldson that it is private law in the decision you have quoted we see uh, persons, relationships between persons. This is not classic private law. The nuance is important because the code does it establish a private law? I think the answer must be very clear. It is a common law code which has its a much broader application. The interpretation must be broader than just purely private law. Book 10, I believe, clearly shows this. We have provisions that clearly and directly deal with the behavior of uh, tribunals. It stipulates in which context administrative tribunals can rule. Question And if the law is suppletive, because you're talking about common law, the legislator is free to look at financial markets and securities, etc. I see here we have three types of remedies. There's a civil type, there's a criminal type and there's an administrative one. Here are the terms and I do not need suppletive law and civil law and to explain the constitutional aspect of my law, I can look to Unifund, because Judge Marcotte took that approach. She understood the first point, but in my reading, at least, in F. Sixty-six
0: for a large number of
1: matters, including certain aspects of public law. and mm-hmm. ne se trompe pas.
2: She is not mistaken, or would you say she is? No, in that aspect, she's not mistaken. However, I do think she erred in making a distinction between disputes that have enough to do with civil law and those which do not. She was opposed to Donaldson, and I think it's important to come back to that decision. I think it is also important to begin with Doré but also to look at the Court of Appeal in Morin against Simard. It's much more explicit and complete than what the court said in Donaldson. In Donaldson, the central question was whether the AMF's decision could be prescribed. Here, AMF The question is whether or not it is uh, regarding a personal action of patrimonial nature. And the court could have stopped there. Now, in Morin v. Simard, we're talking about police ethics. It purely relates to public law. The Court of Appeal was asked to answer the question of whether the civil code has a role to play in that. It was said that it's true that this is a sui generis right. It is not a right that is mainly governed by the civil code. But the Court of Appeal says, nevertheless, the fact regardless of the fact that it is sui generis, it is necessary to regulate relationships between persons, whether they be legal persons or physical persons. Here, in a much stronger way we're looking at regulations that essentially aim to ask which private commercial law disputes are applicable and the AMF, uh, the AMF intervenes to say that these standards or these norms belong to private law. In Morin v. Simard, they are to uh, regulate persons. And that is part of the big family of private law. Here, I think it applies even more so. Mr. Ferland... Does that mean that the AMF, instead of having, in order to have administrative penalties, had they decided to go through penal law, the Quebec authority would have adjudicative jurisdiction because either it's necessary to to make the connection to the perpetrator or the place Well, if the first factor does not apply, the question would be, were the violations committed in Quebec? And I submit that it would be very difficult to demonstrate that. The AMF chose to completely ignore the exact description of the alleged violations and the place where they were committed. But there are certain allegations, for example, that of conspiracy, the pump and pump scheme. There are allegations regarding Montreal and the publication of press releases and so forth. Yes, absolutely. Which brings us, in our factum, to talk about the fact that here there is a certain logic we can play a game of logic, where we roll the dice and we're allowed to move our token forward. In the allegations, we see that the perpetrators, or the defendants, rather, were acting abroad. But the AMF tells us that they played a role in a broader scheme, which implied That's other individuals. And that scheme did take place abroad but it was regarding a corporation's securities it was an offshore company the shares were traded on a foreign market, the American market but Solo had a subsidiary that subsidiary had uh, mining claims in Quebec and a few years before had acquired offices in Montreal. There was also a press release that was touting the Quebec mining policies. There are certain aspects of the scheme regarding Quebec and because there is jurisdiction on the whole scheme uh, that would lead to jurisdiction over the individuals who participated in one way or another in the scheme. Because there is jurisdiction on the participants, there is also jurisdiction on their entire acts. Question. What should we do about uh, Mr. Plant? He was domiciled in Quebec. Absolutely. He was, and he did not dispute the AMF's adjudicative jurisdiction because there's no doubt that the AMF does have jurisdiction over Mr. Plant. The fact that that is true, however, does not give the AMF jurisdiction regarding other individuals. The AMF. Put for specific violations committed by the various defendants. The question is, regarding a criminal law, to answer Justice Cote's question, were those violations committed in Quebec or partially in Quebec? And humbly, I would submit that the answer is no. This is very important. The AMF was at the declinatory stage and there was no allegation that either of the four appellants had published the press releases. One of the appellants had participated in drafting uh, what was published. However, there was also no allegation that the press releases were published in Montreal. Some of them mention Montreal, but there is no mention of their place of publication. There is nothing to prove that that really is the case. However, even if it were the case, even if the publication had taken place in Montreal it would still be difficult to justify jurisdiction over those who participated in the publication, let alone all of those individuals who in some way participated in the broader scheme. So we see that the jurisdiction is being stretched farther and farther. This is a dispute that aims to sanction misconduct the total amount of monetary penalties amount to 3.4 million dollars solely based on acts committed abroad. Yes, but here the facts have been established. We are not here to measure whether or not uh, this was applicable to Mr. Plant. No. To come back to what you have described as the crux of the matter, why is it not a matter of uh, applicability of provincial laws to the alleged facts in the proceedings and to Come back to common law, the question of its relevance. The civil code, the relevance of the civil code. Why would that not be useful? Firstly, regarding the suppletive role of the civil code, there was a major change in the new iteration of the code especially Section 300 and and, uh, Section 365 of the Lower Canada Code. It was a section regarding exceptions, but it was decided that the Civil Code also applies to legal persons in public law. Yes, in a suppletive way. Yes, absolutely. So, the legislator was free and either said when it comes to the Act on the Regulation of Financial Markets, when there are loopholes in the Act, one refers to the Civil Code. when property belongs to the state it is under the civil code but the logic remains that if the legislator decides not to refer to the code they can do so and this is what we mean when we talk about the relevance of the code
0: here in this case I see that my time is almost up. I would like to leave Mr. Griffin enough time. I will answer your question though. I think it's extremely important. Why are we not dealing with the the constitutional applicability of the civil code? Because the legislator chose not to intervene and to establish different jurisdictions to what's in the code. If the legislator had done so, then there would be no doubt that the uh, legislation would apply here. If the legislator had done so, if the provisions had been too broad and went beyond uh, the framework in Unifund, then we could ask questions about their constitutional applicability. But the legislator did not do so. Therefore, we apply the provisions in the code, they create no constitutional problem, and the appellants did not uh, call into doubt the constitutional applicability. And so the court does not have to deal with that issue because the legislator chose to rely on the provisions in the civil code. Those provisions do not give jurisdiction to uh, the F. Matt, question, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you say 3134 to 3154 do not uh, provide jurisdiction. I imagine that uh, we'll hear more about that, but 3136 is a situation where the Quebec authority is not jurisdiction, but where a different tribunal could be. Answer, if uh, we were dealing with a situation or that that 3136 targeted, then yes, absolutely, the AMF could decide to hear a case that did not fall under other provisions, but that is not what the AMF asked. The AMF did not ask for 3136 to apply and did not either demonstrate that there's anything unreasonable about asking that uh, the appellants be sanctioned in their own provinces. The, it would have been very difficult to provide any evidence and there was no effort to deploy all of the tools to, uh, to, to begin a kind of interprovincial cooperation. And why is that? Because uh, the provision did not apply. Question. Is Mr. Griffin going to talk about uh, uh, the analogy? Uh, No, answer, that was up to me, and Mr. Griffin has given me a little more time. The approach is contrary to the logic of the code the legislator chose a certain number of uh, jurisdictional grounds. And if none of them apply, you go back to 3134, which is, has to do with the defendant's domicile. The court always, has always reminded us that it is important to apply the code by looking at its wording. In Wachanuat, the court applied, by analogy, the provisions. I completely disagree with Justice Manville's interpretation. In Wachanuat, what the court said unanimously is that the code applies, even if we're dealing with public law, the ancestral rights of uh, Inu people, are not, don't, do not fall under the civil code. Question, they said, he said they were sui generis rights, so hybrid rights, answer. Absolutely, the court said these are hybrid rights. And the majority of the court tells us that because they are not a, a real rights, we, it's impossible to wedge them into 3136, the majority tells us that we cannot reason by analogy and say, well, they look like real uh, rights, so let's set aside Quebec jurisdiction. The minority seems to, uh, says the sui generis rights resembles real rights, but I believe in doing so, the minority relied on a very common practice in international law, which is that the court is dealing with something that doesn't fall into a clear category of local law. They have to classify it. There are similarities between the majority and minority decisions. The minority says, can we adopt that approach for ancestral rights? The minority says yes, the majority says no. In the case at Bar, Justice Mayville's reasoning leads to the creation of a new jurisdictional ground. The legislator chose not to apply any specific provision in this type of situation. Justice Mayville therefore says, if the legislator decided not to create a specific provision, let's create one, let's stretch the interpretation of 3148, and that creates a problem. There is no fault in Quebec, and there's no injury in Quebec. In Finiel, uh, was extremely clear, if there is an injury, you have to determine where the transaction took place, and in Chandler, the Court of Appeal dealing with a transaction in the United States said that the injury occurs where the transaction occurred. So if there was an injury, it did not occur in Quebec, but elsewhere. So I think that uh, Justice Mayavin's analysis by analogy is not acceptable. And even if it were acceptable, I don't think that we can accept this uh, stretching of interpretation question. So you are saying that 3145 to 3148 must be applied. And the final result is that since they're non your clients don't reside in Quebec, there's no provision that could apply jurisdiction or you already shared your position on 3148.3. So, Quebec tribunals could not hear the case or apply administrative sanctions against them. Answer, in the case at bar, no, there's no jurisdiction that applies. If a legislator had wished to to do so, they could have done so. The AMF uh, chose a certain route, and they must uh, live with the consequences and with the allegations that they brought. Thank you very much and I will now let uh, my colleague take over. Chief Justice, Justices, I'll be brief, I have two main points. The Unifund issue, and you're clearly interested in that issue, I will argue why Unifund does not apply at this stage. Could Unifund apply to the grounds once uh, the evidence is administered? Perhaps, but Unifund does not answer the question of who can hear the case. It answers the question of whether the law applies. These two questions command two different paradigms, and in the life cycle of a case, we're dealing with two very different moments. And what I argue, is uh, confirmed by what Justice Mayville says in paragraph 161 and following. I'll ask you to go to tab 10 of my condensed book. Justice Mayville says there's a lack of equivalency, not on the epistemological aspect or on any aspect at all. It's important to keep these issues together and why, to keep them separate rather. Why is that? Not because you just can't hear a case, but because there's a lack of equivalency between what a court can hear and how they can decide on a case. And that is in unifund at paragraph 58. Justice Mayville says we have to answer the question of whether a case can be heard before deciding whether a case can be decided. And why do you have to ask both of those questions? Because both of those questions are very distinct. Now, if you look at Unifund at tab 12, rather tab 13, tab 12, paragraph 58, The court says, as we will see, a real and substantial link that would be sufficient for a provincial tribunal to declare that it has jurisdiction to hear a case cannot be sufficient for the laws of the province to determine the uh, end result. As I said, the two questions refer to very different moments in time at the Court of Appeal there was a very academic debate about the issue. Question. If I follow your reasoning and what uh, Mr. Ferland argued, if in the circumstances of this case, I understand that there are two steps. There's a legislative uh, jurisdiction, then you have to decide if the law applies at the next step, but in the present circumstances, if we agreed with you on the adjudicative uh, jurisdiction, we would never even get to the second question. Answer. Precisely. And that's what we see in Torudag. That is a BC decision. And I would encourage you to compare that. If you look at tab 9, At tab nine, Chen and Boudag present a, a declinatory exception. So if you look at the first paragraph,
1: not have jurisdiction to hear. Donc la question est, puis entendre?
0: And so the question here is, can I hear a case? And if you look at the analysis performed by the Commission, that is an issue that falls under private international law. It does not have to do with the constitutional applicability of the law. You can also see that at paragraph 27 where there's an agreement between parties. In paragraph 27 it says
1: that the test for determining whether the Commission has jurisdiction, jurisdiction to hear, is whether the subject matter of the notice of hearing has a real and substantial connection test to British Columbia. This is from 2009,
0: so pre Van Breda, there's a refer- there are references to previous decisions, same thing in paragraph 29, Hunt, Mascot, and so there's an agreement that the rules that apply here are those of international private law. So this is the decision of the Commission at the interlocutory stage. As you know, when you're at the stage of uh, declinatory exceptions, you can hardly do anything, so you can't Uh, You can't uh, provide any substantial evidence. It's extremely limited. And if you want to challenge the applicability of the law, you need a record. And we'll see in the decisions cited by the AMF, these only have to do with uh, the merits of the case. They have nothing to do with the declinatory exception stage where there's the defendants and the courts are also limited this was confirmed in Spar and Van Breda
2: when it comes to declinatory exceptions the judge has a sensitive role has to look at the basis of facts and try to establish a real and substantial connection, and whether it applies to the code we are at that stage, the declinatory stage. I'll draw your attention to tab nineteen. Just for my own information, in Toradag, you quoted the, def- the uh, decision of the Securities Commission. Yes, it is at tab 19 in which a unifund applies. Yes So at tab 9 we're talking about declinatory exceptions and here we're talking about the merit and it is on the merit that unifund applies. Everything regarding declinatory exception comes to merit and Unifund establishes all the facts and the Commission said given the facts, even if there are facts that happened abroad, we can apply this. What does Torudag say for defense? It's the constitutional inapplicability that is their defense on the merits. And we see the work done by the Supreme Court regarding the findings of the the B.C. Administrative Tribunal. At the appeal stage, the question asked is to know whether the B.C. Securities Commission applies in the case of the merits of a file. Does the law apply? This question demands a constitutional answer. This is not the case in our case before us. You can look at how the FMAT regulated or formulated the question rather. I'll ask you to turn to tab 8. Pardon me, not tab 8. I beg your pardon. Yes, it is tab 8 paragraphs 54 to 56. This is how the question was phrased. The FMAT asked, can I hear the case? It's not a question of whether the QSA applies with adjudicative jurisdiction. The question was formulated, can we hear the case? So you say it was never A question, for declinatory exceptions, whether the Securities Act does not apply to our clients. You can't hear the case because our clients are not residents of your province. The facts, as alleged by the AMF, do not establish a real and substantial connection as we see in Van Breda. When it comes to the merits the AMF is the AMF able to establish the connection that is a completely separate question that will be asked when the AMF has met its burden of proof and we will have enough time to formulate our complete defense. Once the AMF arrives at that stage, it's not a far fetched scenario to say that, in light of the allegations, we'll move forward in the case, we'll show evidence, we'll hear experts, etc. And when it comes to merits, the tribunals agree that there were no actions committed in Quebec. However, based on your pretense, if the Declinatory Exemption was accepted, can you comment on this? This would be an assumption of jurisdiction. But if I look only at the the international law provisions in the Civil Code, we only see the fact that your clients are not residents. So this does not refer back to Van Breda. I will move on to Van Brede now. I was talking uh, more about Unifund to answer your questions. If you have no further questions, we can move on to look at how the Civil Code does not apply, rather it is common law. I have been attempting to persuade you uh, using Unifund, but there's also the common law elements in Venbreda. Justice Marquette also relied on McCabe, the B.C. Court of Appeal decision based on the merits, Mr. Justice, in your opinion. Did she uh, base herself on the wrong case? When I look at how the case has proceeded, it became abstract compared to what it was at the outset. And I think this is true for all of us. We forgot where we were when it comes to the proceeding and the uh, progress of the case. Not only did McCabe deal with merit but it also dealt with the method of defense because the question of can we hear the case was already answered in McCabe at the Court of Appeal in McCabe, there was no question as to residence. The place of residence was British Columbia. So there was no question of, can I hear the case? It was the same for the two decisions by the AMF in the Ontario Supreme Court regarding a pharmaceutical case where medicine and medical devices were uh, distributed. The administrative tribunals used the real and substantial connection test to uh, rule on their jurisdiction. But this was in light of the facts whether or not the facts allow the law to be applied even though there is overreach of provincial boundaries. That is not where we are in this case. So there is a paradigm shift, and the question being asked is not the right one. Question. I've read the Court of Appeal uh, decision. It seemed everyone agreed on the dispute and the respective positions of the parties. It seems you're saying that there was some misalignment even from the outset of the case. No, I'm saying that after the different arguments, the question changed compared to what had initially been asked before the AMF or initially, it was, can the AMF hear the case? Then Justice Collier heard the case, and there were more conceptual discussions and so forth, and at the Court of Appeal, the matter became much more conceptual. Uh, for example, uh, constitutional applicability, civil code versus common law, etc., This goes above and beyond the process we were in, which I believe is essential because we need to know which type of paradigm applies. For example, take Van Breda or Sparn. The procedural context in which the question is asked is important. And in our case, this is also true. It's important at what stage the question is asked. <laughs> On judicial review, the Superior Court Justice at paragraph four said
0: in law and is without jurisdiction because there is no real and substantial connection between the facts alleged against the petitioners and the province of Quebec.
2: By using this term real and substantial connection, the argument was presented somewhat differently than how it's presented here. Exactly, and at the, oh, the- F.M.A.T. stage, they leaned towards international, private international law. Three decisions were decided at uh, uh, cited Libman Global Securities and McCabe at the Court of Appeal, and on the basis of those three common law decisions it was determined whether the uh, real and substantial connection test was met. So we believe there was error regarding common law because this is a question of private international law when it was at the uh, lower court stage. This was a private international law matter relating to the real and substantial connection test. And when you look at the line of thinking of the Court of Appeal, they said you, the appellants, are talking about a question of uh, jurisdiction, and the test is correctness, and this reframed the debate, and everything came back to be based on Unifund. And there was a mix of uh, Unifund with Libman, which was a criminal case. And it was clear that predictability and the other elements were not satisfied in a private. Peplana. Can I bring you backwards a bit to ask you what you're talking about your position on the 10th book? Because you say. Book ten is a complete code, including the jurisdiction of Quebec court when there is ex- extra territorial an extraterritorial element. Therefore, Quebec authorities do not have jurisdiction. And I may have missed something because to my mind that means that Quebec authorities would never have jurisdiction to hear a case under 273.1 securities unless there is extraterritoriality. Is that your belief? When we apply the code strictly, it's not when there is extraterritoriality, it is when the defendants are not domiciled in that place under 3134. I understand, but what about the Securities Act to protect investors, to protect Quebecers? All that needs to be done is to say, well, there is an international element to this case, so there's no way for you to have access to the civil code. That can't be true. There is a solution to this, Mr. Justice. It's in the 10th book of the Securities Act. Everything regarding enforcement and investigation has uh, elements for cooperation, recognition of decisions, delegation of decisions. So the legislator was aware of uh, transnational types of violations and tried to anticipate that and provide rules to allow the AMF to work collaboratively with the Securities Commission and they did. it also worked with European regulators in this context. So the uh, solution to enforcement when there is an international element is similar to as it happens with police. So Enforcement would be carried out elsewhere. Is that your answer? To me, it seems that that can't be the intention of the legislator. I may be mistaken. The enforcement would be carried out in the appropriate forum. The AMF represents the power of the state. The state has... Exceptional powers of uh, investigating in-camera are able to constrain persons
0: uh, around the world? My, 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 my question, but that has nothing to do with the issue that we're dealing with. Answer. What I mean is that the legislator laid out solutions for international cooperation to answer that uh, question. Thank you. Your time uh, is up. The court will take its morning break, 15 minutes. Cool, the court. Please be seated. Miss Jolin. Chief Justice, Justices, as the majority said in paragraph
3: 82, with the constitutional applicability of a provincial law, being the Securities Act, to acts committed by persons who reside outside the limits of the province, but whose actions were allegedly performed both inside and outside the province, given the transnational nature of their alleged wrongdoings. On a
0: constitutional lens, it has to do with what was in Van Breda. Question, that may be the question, but first, you have to find the source of the jurisdiction, no? Answer, I submit that you can't sever the jurisdiction Of the tribunal and the scope of the law and so at the outset the question is can the laws the law apply to the confirmed facts and if so the mechanism of the law should apply which is an enforcement proceeding before the FMAT question your friends say we never said that the Quebec law doesn't apply to us we're just saying we're not residents therefore the tribunal doesn't have jurisdiction over us that's what they argue they say we never said when we made a motion for declinatory exceptions answer I submit that their arguments were founded on the hypothesis that you can sever the jurisdiction of a tribunal and the scope of the law I submit that is not the case, and in Unifund, the court alluded to that. I would refer you to our condensed book, to the Sharp Appellant Condensed Book, tab 12. I'm at paragraph 27. And I quote, although this is just a case of deciding which tribunal has a jurisdiction, the real issue here is asking if, given the territorial limits of provincial laws, Unifund has any valid action against the province. I see a parallel with the case before us today. The real issue, no matter how it was asked is, does, can the Securities Act apply? Can its mechanisms apply? And therefore, does that give uh, the FMAT jurisdiction to hear the case? Question, Mr. Ferland said, look, there are different uh, recourses laid out the law administrative penal if uh, the AMF uh, had chosen the penal route then uh, the issue of jurisdiction would not exist there are other arguments on the allegations also so there are various uh, recourses but as for administrative sanctions the civil code of quebec applies to determine whether the tribunal can hear the case but he didn't say that uh, the securities act does not apply to them imagine if the amf had asked uh, the bc tribunal to cooperate and there was a tribunal cooperating with you in that case there would be a debate in bc as to whether the quebec act applied answer i submit that the answer is no I submit that the B.C. Securities Commission cannot apply Quebec law. We mustn't forget the nature of the orders sought. First of all, the orders uh, of interdiction in in the law. And it also targets uh, any conduct within the Quebec territory. So, the B.C. Securities Commission cannot apply the Quebec Securities Act on in their own case they have to apply their own law in fact only the FMAT can apply the Securities Act of Quebec question your friends talked about uh, cooperation mechanisms set out in uh, the law so what uh, cooperation mechanisms could have been used in this case? Answer. The problem, Justice, is that the cooperation measures are there for a certain reason, but you can't say that there can be reciprocal orders if you can't emit orders in the first place. There may be reciprocity mechanisms, but if that applied, then another tribunal would have to decide to hear the case. And if that was the case, then we would be at the mercy of a third party regulator to protect actions occurring on our own territory. And don't forget that this wouldn't only apply to Canadian citizens residing outside of Quebec. Imagine if we were dealing with Russian citizens. We would be at the mercy of uh, Russian authorities. We can't force a third party regulator to do anything. And so this, the scope of our legislations can't just be at the mercy of a third party. I'd also like to add that the reciprocal orders and those mechanisms have the objective of ensuring that the legal system is efficient. But if we go with the appellant's route, then we won't get anywhere. If you think of Mr. Plante, All of the arguments, the appellant's arguments, saying that the appellant could uh, not be uh, held accountable in Quebec, well, Mr. Plant could make the same arguments in B.C. And so you'd have two tribunals doing the same work in parallel, trying to determine if there's an issue here. Question. They don't have a civil code just with uh, the same international private law rules. But uh, the civil code doesn't apply here. Question not at all? Answer no. For the reasons that we let out in our factum. For the appellants, uh, they argue that the civil code should be interpreted in such a way Question, But do you agree that the civil code is, goes beyond civil law? It's, it's the common law, general law, that engenders a wide array of things. So you can't just say, this is private law, this is uh, civil law. It's the common law, it's general law, from what I understood, your colleague, your friends argue that this includes all sorts of relationships and that's why we can say that the civil code may apply in the current situation. Answer, I refer to the preliminary provisions of the code and at the very start it says that the code will apply to people and goods. And as the court said in Dori, these are issues that fall under private law. But here, we're not dealing with private law, but with public law. Question, so why does the code not say that the civil code establishes private law? Why take the time to include that nuance and say that uh, the code establishes uh, a general law? You say in your factum that administrative law is founded on common law and you cite various decisions Belmar, 1983, among other things, isn't doesn't the code really go beyond that? It's not the contents of the code that have to has to do with the idea of general law. It's the suppletive vocation of the code. It's not the same thing. I think you're confusing them. I think You're confusing the contents of the code and what is in the preliminary provision and its vocation to apply as suppletive law, as the Chief Justice says. It's not a private law code, but a general law code answer. What I understood in Prud'homme, for example, is that we don't have a general law code because it can contain provisions that target the state and there are provisions that set out how they will apply to the state, but none of those apply in this case. Furthermore, from uh, the preamble, it says that it is a general law and it applies to everything that uh, comes back to the contents of the civil code. Question, do you know where that uh, comes from? It wasn't pulled out of thin air, it's, it's a tradition, Justinian tradition, but it is not there to limit the scope of the code, even in Dory that deals with private law was uh, explained by Justice Gontier doctrine says this is uh, common law, the common law, and the AMF is a moral person, so you should look at the civil code to establish what the scope of your powers are, and this is the general law. It's a, what is suppletive. Same thing for the responsibilities of the state. Your property is, it falls under 916 of the code. Answer, I agree <coughs> in 300, uh, there's a an explanation of uh, how the law applies to moral persons, but The nature of the orders sought here would mean that the law would not apply. We're not dealing with international private law here. Question: What I understood from your argument is that the provisions in the code do not apply because of the nature of the proceedings before the tribunal. If you look at the conclusions sought, the mission, the administrative mission, of uh, the case, then they don't relate to the civil code. And the first step is to determine the constitutional applicability. Justice Marcotte says so and doesn't take your position on the code. And it's not even necessary to say what you're saying. Or maybe I'm mistaken. Does your argument depend upon that answer? What we argued at the Court of Appeal we're arguing today, the rules do not apply here because we are not dealing with private international law, but public law. And so those rules do not apply. They were conceived with a hypotheses that are completely inapplicable in the realm of public law and they can't be transferred there, the C- civil code does not apply and in any case the l- legislative provisions do not need to be completed. Question what should we do with the Minister of Justice Commons in 135 of Justice Mayweil's dis- decision? when uh, the provisions of uh, private international law were adopted. That's the ob- general objective of the third chapter is to have specific rules to determine the international jurisdiction of uh, Quebec authorities, tribunals, or diverse authorities. So what weight should we give those comments? Answer, we have to distinguish what's being discussed, the minister's comments have to do with cases that fall under private international law, and you have to really emphasize the private nature of uh, that law. So if an administrative tribunal hears a case uh, that falls under private law, then those provisions could apply, but in the case at bar the case before the FMAT does not fall under private law. The orders sought fall under public law and the objective is to protect the public investors in Quebec markets.
2: Ms. Jolin, we could perhaps bring a nuance to this issue. We can expect that We can accept that the Civil Code applied, and as Justice Kazeera said, like common law, it applies as a principle and it applies in the case. But the effect of the Civil Code is not to limit the constitutional applicability on the Securities Act, because there is no provision in the Civil Code that limits the constitutional applicability of the Securities Act. It is therefore not a question of whether this is administrative or not. We're asking whether the constitutional applicability is limited, but there is no provision that would do so here. Precisely, Justice, there is nothing in the law to say that the Securities Act should be limited. That is simply the conclusion we arrive at, given the uh, reasons by the Court of Appeal and
3: Donaldson.
2: There are wiser men than I am, and we adhere to that opinion. But yes, you are right, and that is also exactly what we pleaded before the Court of Appeal that the Securities Act is complete and according to the legislators uh, wish there is no need to apply it further. Ms. Jolin when I look at 273.3 regarding the orders you are looking for it brings us back to 265 of the Civil Code or rather Even if you say that we're talking about public law, yes it is public law, but under this uh, section it sends us to a specific provision of the Civil Code. Yes, but for the respondent, this reference to the Civil Code does not change the nature of the orders we're looking for, including under 273.1. And I would like to come back to the nature of the orders that we are seeking. Here is what I submit, and I said this before. The AMF can, or rather, 265 and 273.1 deal with different conduct and we cannot uh, admit any orders outside of Quebec. 273.1 questions the, the um, prior behavior of the appellants. In Unifund the connection must be established between the um, behavior, the violations and the province of Quebec. I would like to draw your attention to what the court said in Imperial Tobacco. At tab 19 of our condensed book, at paragraph 18, The law respects the sovereignty of other entities. No other entity than British Columbia can go further with this case. The Columbia Brit- uh, British Columbia deals with the health of British Columbians. There is a link to be made with Imperial Tobacco and 265 and 273.3 of the Securities Act. Question. The court spoke of a significant connection. Is that the same as the threshold you are positing here? Mr. Justice, I see a parallel but there is a distinction. I think that we're meeting both tests. The two prohibition orders are looking at violations regarding securities in Quebec. It is clear that Quebec can rule on the matter because there is a link between the Quebec Territory and the misconduct. I think we meet the uh, critical test. That is, we are meeting the critical test. In Imperial Tobacco, it is a matter of the substance of the act and here we're talking about the quality of the law. Unifund, therefore, applies more. But I submit that for the same reasons, we do satisfy the sufficient connection test. And that's regarding Imperial Tobacco. Yes, I cite Imperial Tobacco to draw uh, the parallel.
3: Because the... Uh, the um what we're seeking
2: what we're seeking the prohibit prohibition orders intrinsically
3: related to the Quebec's uh, Quebec's territory and the um, okay. uh, and its power up. to legislate in matters
2: of securities okay. okay I understand Ms. Jolin might this be an opportunity to comment on what uh, Griffin tried to do in McCabe, at this point in the case, uh, is there an impact on the merit? I will reiterate what I said a few minutes ago. We cannot dissociate the scope of the legislation with the scope of the tribunal. When it comes to a declinatory exemption, it's as if we had administered the evidence so I do not necessarily see a distinction. And the question as I underlined in unifund remains what is the scope of the law and can we and can the statutory tribunal hear the case or not? Question and they are the ones who raised the declinatory exceptions in the beginning. So we can always come back to a problem after, but it was they who brought up the declinatory exception. Yes, Mr. Justice, it is the way that the question was posed and submitted to the FMAT. But once again, I'll come back to the fact that we can't answer the question if the FMet has jurisdiction without asking the question of to what extent this law can apply to out-of-province defendants regarding the uh, alleged violation. I would also like to speak to the consequences of private international law. First of all, the consequence of adopting private international law as prescribed by the appellants would mean that the FMAT could not hear this case even though it is the only court in the world that could deal with this case. And I would submit to you that private international law especially when it comes to jurisdictional matters is based on hypotheses that are in no way applicable to this case. There is a dispute um, always between the same parties acting in their own personal or private interests and their dispute can be determined by one uh, remedy by a single court. Having two decisions would create um, a contradiction. Two decisions by two different courts. Don't, or rather, we therefore want to avoid having two courts make the decision. In other words, there should be only one winner And these hypotheses are not applicable in public law matters, including this case. This is not a dispute between private parties. We're not looking for a personal remedy in this case. Also, and therefore, the so-called applicant wants for the court to change. In BC it would be the BCSC, in Quebec it's the AMF. And regarding the AMF which wants to it wants or rather res judicata will never be able to be satisfied when there are two parallel cases one before the AMF and one before another regulator. I will use the example, as I have already used, where AMF would uh, hear a case against the appellants and the BCSC would also hear a case against the appellants. Even though the factual basis remains the same, there could be a link with BC established and we could also establish a link with Quebec. Each province and each tribunal would be dealing with uh, behavior linked to their own territory. There is absolutely no conflict between the Canadian provinces here. There is no uh, problem regarding comedy between provinces. Excuse me, I'd like to bring you backwards a little because if I understood correctly given your suggestions on jurisdiction it would be impossible to use private international law under the Civil Code to do so. So what do you say to Judge Mainville's decision on 3136? Is the door truly closed? We are arguing that the provisions of the code regarding private international law do not apply here. That said, we subscribe to Judge Marka's reasons where she says, it goes without saying, that this case could not be heard elsewhere and no one can be forced to have a case heard elsewhere. So 3136 could, in principle, apply. And this is a purely a a legal, judicial argument. The AMF cannot hear a case elsewhere than in Quebec regarding the Quebec Securities Act. And we cannot force any third party to hear a case who, in any case, should not be hearing a case in regards to the Quebec Securities Act, as I've said. That is why we agree with Judge Marcotte's reasons in paragraph 91. Any which way, we always come back to the sufficient connection test. Et,
1: mais
0: Question. But the analysis would be possible with 3136 if you establish a sufficient link and then you add the second issue of impossibility. It would be possible. Answer. If the court decides that we're not... Question, I'm asking, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, is it legally possible? Because you say it's impossible. So what... What's your opinion on that answer? The fact, I agree with uh, Justice Marcotte's comments. The civil code doesn't apply, but our subsidiary argument would be 3136 applies because then we'd be dealing with a jurisdiction of a tribunal. But we disagree with the premise that you can sever the jurisdiction of a tribunal and the scope of legislation. I will come back to my, my arguments. The application of uh, Van Breda. I had understood from my friends That Van Breda could apply as a subsidiary source. Van Breda falls under private law. And the court said several times in Van Breda that it should not be applied to other circumstances. And if you look at 85, tab 11 of our condensed book, where The court says, the list of presumptive connecting factors proposed here relates to claims and tort and issues associated with such claims. It does not purport to be an inventory of connecting factors covering the conditions for the assumption of jurisdiction over all claims known to the law. And the court reiterates the same thing in Chevron where it says in paragraph 38 at tab 12, Even if it is undeniable that uh, the Chevron places considerable reliance upon this court's decision in Van Breda
3: and
0: 40. The principles lead us to conclude that what is in Van Breda should not apply in uh, other cases. And I uh, argue that these rules should not be transposed to a case that falls under public law. Rather, Unifun should apply. The case before the appellate court and before your court today aims to determine what the scope is of the Securities Act and to what extent can it apply to non-residents? In 56, tab 13, there are four propositions. It is clear reading them that the court Adopted a contextual test to not constrain provinces. The object of a law and its provisions can vary, of course, but the conclusion that the reach judges reach from various provinces are consistent. And I would refer you to Global Pharmacy, called an optometrist, Tordag, McCabe, and Berger. If all the other judges and all the other appellate courts in Canada apply the decisions and the law in the same way that the appellate court does it in this case. In paragraph 52 of Unifund, there's discussion of the sufficient link test. The objective of the text. And what do other appellate uh, judges say in TORDAG at tab
3: 14? ...account of the reality of technical developments in commerce
0: and communication. And he recognizes that things can be similar elsewhere and, quote, so can. In Global Pharmacy, the Ontario Appellate Court, tab 15. Paragraph 68. The
3: application judge observed there is no single standard defining what constitutes a sufficient connection. Whether there is a sufficient connection depends largely on context.
0: In McCabe, the Court of Appeal, tab 16, paragraph
3: 35. a real and substantial connection, not whether a particular connection is the most real and substantial this question is to be answered with reference to the regulatory regime at issue the particular provision being applied the impugned conduct and the individual or entity who is subject to the regulatory body
0: and later in the same decision the BC Court of Appeal paragraph 37 substantial connection exists must reflect the realities of modern
3: securities regulation for instance conduct involving securities will often be transnational in nature crossing provincial and state borders.
0: And further, in McCabe, the Court of Appeal discusses McKenzie Securities' Gregory Libman. The Court of Appeal of Ontario, in College of Optometrists, paragraph
3: 93. Action ...exists does not involve a numeric comparison of the acts Esselor performed in British Columbia with those in Ontario to provide prescription eyewear to an uh, Ontario customer. A single act, such as delivery, may establish a sufficient connection or it may not. The Unifund test requires a more qualitative inquiry into the relationship among the enacting jurisdiction, the subject matter of the legislation, and the individual or entity to be regulated. And
0: finally, in 2019, the Saskatchewan Court of Appeal in Pro Berger, tab 18. Paragraph 63. Question Do you accept the distinction that uh, the appellant's lawyers submitted that Justice Binney in Unifund distinguished between the real and substantial connection and the sufficient connection? Because it's true that Van Breda, Morgard, and Unifund, in a sense, are in the same family. We're dealing with the constitutional issues based on constitutional principles within a federation, but they are still different tests. They're specific, as you explained with the uh, Chevron, Justice Gascon. It's important to be nuanced and specific in our terminology, so you cited cases related to the real and substantial connection, but perhaps they're right in saying that the Unifund test is specific and has to do with a sufficient connection answer. To answer your question, I have to provide some more detail. Aside from TORDAG, all of the decisions that I've cited apply Unifund explicitly. They often quote, paragraph 56 and apply it. Yes, they refer to other decisions. They often refer to Libman and then McNab mckay because uh, there were other decisions rendered later. But in every single decision that I've cited chronologically from Tordag, there's specific reference to Unifund. And it is the sufficient link test that applies from Unifund. and. In the Berger case. Tab 18 of our condensed book. Paragraph 59. The court mentions. In
3: this corridor on the law is clear. A province cannot legislate extraterritorially with Unifund and then in paragraph 60 it's legislative authority to empower an administrative tribunal to apply laws extraterritorially the constitution act does not permit a provincial legislator to do indirectly what it cannot do directly accordingly the, the question will always be whether the connection between the matter before a tribunal and the province in question is sufficient to give uh, the tribunal jurisdiction. There, we get back to the overlap between the adjudicative
0: competence and the legislative competence. In paragraph on cite the paragraph, and in the following paragraph, they cite paragraph 56 of UNIFUND. So there's a broad consensus. Question: Do you believe that a sufficient link is less difficult? is easier to reach than a real, substantial connection? Answer, do I think it's less of a test? Question, the majority at the Court of Appeal believed uh, they were the same. Answer, to be frank, I think one of the problems we have is that the sufficient link, which is constitutional, is inspired by the general philosophy of the real and substantial connection. It's a different iteration of it, but because a sufficient link is constitutional, it must take precedence, question. I think it would be a good thing for us to clarify that, to avoid any ambiguity in the future. I'm just saying. Answer. Chief Justice, I... Don't deny that there are difficulties uh, in, in application, but we meet the sufficient link test. Question, do you agree with Justice Mayville who says in 51 that the sufficient connection test constitutionally and the sufficient link test in 3136 of the civil code are the same, that the analysis is the same? Answer: I would submit that 3136 is a provincial provision and therefore must ultimately respect the Unifund decision and therefore we come to the same thing ultimately. We mustn't forget that in Unifund, there's the issue of applying the sufficient link test in a flexible way to reflect the law. And there's consensus at uh, the appellate courts elsewhere in Canada. I also want to underline that Unifund is 20 years old. The reasons of the appellate decision are not in conflict with any of the case law coming from other appellate courts. The different securities uh, commissions and the application of Unifund are have uh, no, meet no uh, criticism in other provinces. There's uh, the expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, applies here, I would argue. We'll
2: we come back to this efficiency of the connection between Quebec and the administrative proceeding. I already explained why I think that Unifund is always important regarding 263 and 265 and 273.3 of the Securities Act. Here a prior misconduct is referred to. There is the market manipulation scheme and I submit that the respondent's request is clear regarding what we accuse the appellants of. We cannot evaluate their responsibility and the scope of the legislation by looking at their actions in silo. So what creates the link between the administrative proceedings and Quebec? What is clearly shown in our request is that Solo is a reporting issuer in Quebec because its CEO and director is a resident of Quebec and had an office where it carried out where he carried out CEO duties. He was also a majority shareholder, being a resident of Quebec, the CEO was also the uh, director and officer of uh, 92524768 Quebec Inc a solo subsidiary. The promotional activities for solo were done over the internet so accessible by Quebecers and during those promotional activities press releases were issued by Solo, agreed to by the CEO, they were published in, they were accessible in Montreal, and at least one spoke about Quebec and the potential for mining in Quebec. For us, there is a connection between Quebec and the scheme. It is an obvious link the scheme was orchestrated from Montreal in Quebec. So for us the the sufficiency of the link could not be clearer. Judge Mainville referred to 3136 but also ultimately arrived at the same conclusion. Before concluding I have a comment on the application of the uh, criminal proceeding. Uh, Justice Coté had a question to that effect. I want to highlight that if criminal proceedings had been the proceedings chosen, it is certain that the criminal code would apply. We're not casting any doubt on that. However, section 141, uh, 142 rather, of the criminal code has to do with jurisdiction of Quebec courts. 142 of the Criminal Code lays out the place of introduction. It does not talk about the jurisdiction of Quebec courts or tribunals. When it is a matter of determining whether or not Quebec courts or tribunals have jurisdiction to hear a case that have a foreign element, the courts generally turn to Libman. Question. The tribunal under criminal law could hear the case if the alleged offender was domiciled in the province or if the offense was committed in the province. Then, in those circumstances, the Quebec court could hear the case. We're talking about where the case must be heard and the possible options are listed. One is the place of residence of the defendant and the other is the place the violation was committed. And in this case both would be the same because the violation was committed in Quebec and the CEO resided in Quebec. What about non-residents? Madam Justice, for the same reasons, our answer to that argument would be that the Securities Act is not limited. On the merits, but regarding the question whether a Quebec tribunal can hear a criminal case against an out-of-province defendant, it seems to me that criminal, the criminal code says yes. Now regarding the merits and regarding security, the Securities Act, is that applicable and in that case Unifund would apply? I, I don't agree, Madam Justice, I know you don't agree. It's established in which territory the case should be heard. And if we're asking whether or not the case can hear it, it would be the same as in Unifund. OK.
3: Our conclusion.
2: In conclusion, I submit that in one way or the other, The appellants are asking for you to uh, significantly reduce the um, limits of the jurisdiction of Quebec Courts. The appellants would limit the reach of the QSA in Quebec. ...playing field in our markets with one set of rules for people
3: living within the province's borders and another for those engaging in identical harmful conduct from outside the province. And
2: furthermore, as already mentioned, this would bring us to problems with the proceedings. Our approach Complies with the legislator's wish and with prior decisions of this court. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Thank you. Stéphanie Quirion Quentin. Madam Justices, Chief Justice, Justices, we submit that it is not book 10 of the Civil Code of Quebec that should apply, but the rules of common law. However, it's important to understand that the Attorney General is looking at the full application of two Quebec Acts, that's the the uh, Quebec Securities Act and the Act Respecting the Regulation of the Financial Sector to protect investors and uh, the Quebec market in this case there is no provision in those two acts that specifically stipulates the possibility of restricting territorial jurisdiction here we ask what are the rules that apply in the case at Bar the answer depends on the nature of the dispute I'm basing myself on Washuanuat where the majority justices said it was important to be cautious in applying Book 10 when it is not a matter of the Civil Code. The judges invite us to determine the nature of the case by determining the nature of the rights and the nature of the conclusion sought. Here we have administrative uh, jurisdiction over securities market when there is a fraudulent act. The conclusion that AMF sought is uh, administrative prohibitions that were sought before the FMAT, which has an exclusive jurisdiction to hear that type of case to exercise its duties in the public interest. In light of these principles, as we are here in the exercise of public powers under administrative law, we submit that the judicial source or fund that we must base ourselves on is common law. And that is what is so uh, particular about our bijourable Quebec system. Can the uh, civil code apply in a suppletive way? What we submit is that the Quebec civil code constitutes civil law when it is a matter of persons, relationships between persons and property. And yes, there will be particular dispositions that will have to do with public organizations, but when it comes to administrative uh, tribunals, why did the Minister of Justice make the comment that they did regarding 3134 to 3154. You're talking about Book 10. What we understand about Book 10 of the Code is that it doesn't apply to everything that the Code normally applies to, but certainly it applies to administrative tribunals. When administrative tribunals are hearing cases on that matter. For example, the Administrative Housing Tribunal which applies laws regarding housing, yes, it can refer to Book 10 of the Code. But the function of Book 10 and of the Code were created for uh, the regulatory powers and enforcement by the state of a regulated activity. we're not talking about anything contractual, then the answer would be different. Do you agree that here the tribunal was a Quebec authority? Do you agree to that? Yes, it is a Quebec authority. Neither do we deny that Book 10 does apply to administrative tribunals. However, The question that must be asked is, what is the nature of the rights, and what is the nature of the conclusion sought, and what is the nature of the dispute? Here, we submit that we're talking about administrative law, that's very clear. Therefore, we must act the way we would in criminal law. Both regimes aim to protect the public and should have territorial reach, similar territorial reach, so that that objective of protecting the public be uh, reached. Thank you. Your time is unfortunately over. Thank you. Kathleen Gustafsson, Katrina Gustafsson, pardon me. Go ahead. Good morning. I have one
4: point to make today, which is that the subject matter of provincial securities regulation calls for a generous approach to the Unifund Sufficient Connection Framework. Now, that, so the Sufficient Connection analysis is purposive and it is to be applied flexibly depending on the subject matter of the legislation. And that is set out explicitly in the fourth proposition of the analysis. And the subject matter of securities regulation calls for a generous approach to this analysis for two reasons. The first is because the fundamental purpose of provincial securities acts is to further the public interest by protecting investors and preserving the integrity of the province's capital markets. So a broad application of these acts within constitutional territorial limits is in furtherance of the public interest and a broad application of these acts is consistent with this court's holding in the asbestos decision speaking about the Ontario Act that the Ontario Securities Commission has very wide discretion to make orders aimed at protecting investors in the public interest I would I would I would just add very quickly it seems to me that that must be correct because otherwise all that someone who's cooking up a scheme would have to do would be to have some aspect of it outside the jurisdiction and it would frustrate uh, the regulatory uh, scheme. We agree and that brings me to my second point um, and the second reason to take a generous approach to the sufficient connection analysis and that is the factual context in which securities regulators operate. It's beyond dispute that illegal security schemes are routinely implemented (coughs) from and across multiple jurisdictions. These schemes also increasingly utilize the internet to operate their businesses and access investors. And in these situations, the physical locations of individual or corporate actors takes on less significance. And the locations of these actors can also be deliberately selected to make schemes difficult for regulators to penetrate. So the broad public interest discretion of provincial securities regulators must include the ability to take action against those who pose a threat to the province's investors or capital markets.
1: I wonder, though, if we want to be careful about not relying too heavily on public purpose. I mean, the province can't unilaterally amend the Constitution, even when pursuing a public purpose. I see how this might have a role in comedy, but I'm, I'm struggling to see how public purpose has a role in determining the limits of a sufficient connection.
4: Well, we say that uh, two points in response. First, the, the constitutional provision we're speaking about here is the ability of provinces to regulate matters involving uh, property and civil rights in the province. Um, So it's about matters, not about persons. And secondly, UNIFUND tells us that we must look at the subject matter of of the legislation and the subject matter of securities regulation is uh, is a public interest one. And as well, uh, my points about the factual context in which we, we operate. And I'd just like to conclude by illustrating that factual context with a concrete example. So we've referenced in our factum, four recent proceedings by, at the Ontario Commission against offshore crypto asset trading platforms operating in violation of Ontario securities law. So these are virtual trading platforms uh, dealing in virtual securities. And none of these platforms had any physical presence in Ontario. They all happened to be operated by uh, companies incorporated in the Seychelles but they're not Seychelles-based businesses in any meaningful sense of the the term. These are internet-based businesses using the internet to access investors all over the world, including in Ontario. And that's the reality of our global capital markets today. And in this environment, a purposive, flexible approach to the sufficient connection analysis is necessary to allow regulators to protect their local investors and local capital markets and to respond to future adaptations in those markets. And we say that that purpose of flexible approach is precisely what the Unifund framework calls for. I would would add just very briefly that given the decision of this court in the securities reference number one, unless uh, provincial regulators have the capacity to, to reach across boundaries in the way that you've indicated, you're going to have neither a national regulator nor a provincial regulator who can do the job.
1: That was probably a comment more than a question, so uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you. Um, Reply.
0: Mr. Ferland. The appellants are not questioning the scope, the jurisdictional scope of the provinces. That is not at issue here. The scope of legislative jurisdiction is well known, well established, Unifund. Is there, and once again, we are not putting into question the application of Unifund. The jurisprudence that my friend decided refers to Unifund. Of course, they do, but apart from three cases, three decisions that are McKenzie Securities, Poseidon, and Tordag, aside from those three cases, all of uh, these other cases or prosecutions of the resident of that province. If this court says that the civil code applies, unless uh, the legislator applies uh, new provisions, we will find ourselves in a difficult situation. So the question is, can we apply to a resident our provincial laws if the action took place elsewhere? Can an Ontarian living in Ontario say that he or she acted outside of the province? That is why Unifund remains relevant. as the legislator did in uh, criminal matters and civil matters, the legislator could also apply the same type of approach to administrative provisions. I'd like to come back to a few points. First of all, the application of the Quebec Civil Code That was raised from the outset at the Court of Appeal. In the joint uh, case book at page 182, you'll find uh, the arguments that were submitted at uh, the Superior Court level. Now, as to whether Book 10 would be silent on administrative uh, Matters. I don't believe that is the case. Book 10 has its own residual clause, 3134, which has to do with the residence of the defendant, and so Book 10 is broad enough to include all types of possible prosecutions. Otherwise, 3134 applies. My friend talked at length, about the interest in protecting investors, in protecting Quebecers. And protecting the interests of uh, Quebecers is quite broad. So we're dealing with actions that took place abroad where there are regulators both where the defendants live and where their actions took place, who would be in a position to intervene. The AMF has all the powers at its disposal to ensure that there is cooperation. There's a separation between the previous uh, actions and uh, the future actions, but what you mustn't forget is that in this case, the goal here is to sanction previous actions that did not occur in Quebec. The AMF did not ask the FMAT to deal with a stratagem. The AMF has the powers to lead specific prosecutions according to specific legislation. The AMF doesn't have the right to prosecute people wherever they may be in the world and whatever they might be doing, so I think it's important to note that. If we were in a situation such as that, the one that my friend raised, a Russian person where you had to rely on a regulator in another state, a state that we don't necessarily trust, my a friend referred to Russia, of course 3136 could apply because in that case, if you demonstrated the sufficient connection to meet the constitutional test, then we would meet the second test in 3136, the impossibility of acting abroad because you're dealing with a regulator who cannot act. But that is not the case here, 3136 is not open, it does not apply because the conditions have not been met. Thank you, thank you to everyone, to all counsel. The court will take the case under advisement. Have a good day.